Welcome to the Plan C Podcast. Hi, welcome to the Plan C Podcast with your host, me, Dave Lester. I'm me, Neil Gibb. Now, today, Neil, we're having a slightly different podcast than uh, what we normally have. Um, do you want to just create a, a little bit of a frame around that for us? Yeah, sure. We're going to be talking to uh, Matthew Steens, who runs a company called uh, Stigma uh, Statistics. Um, but really, the, the reason we're talking to him is that September the 10th was International Suicide Day. And suicide uh, is the largest killer of men under the age of 50. Um, and this year, the statistics have just come out in the UK that the number of suicides has gone up by um, 6%. So, you know, what we're interested in is how Plan C can be thinking, thinking can be applied to, you know, impact, positively impact this, you know, very, very sensitive issue. Um, so, you know what, really, really what we're going to be doing is talking today about this subject, which is a very emotive one and a very delicate one. But what we really re- realize is that, you know, if we're going to actually make a difference, one of the things uh, we need to do is, is really deal with hard facts. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. Okay, excellent. And with that, um, Neil, I'll let you introduce Matthew. And today we're talking to Matthew Steens, who is the founder of the social enterprise uh, Stigma Statistics. So let's just leap in. And uh, hi, Matthew. Can you just tell us a little bit about you know what what the old social enterprise is and why you set it up? Oh, hi, hi, guys. Thanks very much for for having me this morning, this evening. Um, so. Yeah, Stigma Statistics, we are a seat social uh, venture enable, enabling suicide prevention through data insights. And really, I guess the, the journey for, for Stigma Statistics starts um, I suppose seven, seven years ago, 2013, if my maths are correct, back, back in New Zealand, um, you know, one particular day I was going through a period of depression myself uh, when I was working in a high-rise building and and uh, yeah that one particular day I saw um, someone jump off a car parking building opposite uh, and, and what to their death and what can only be assumed as a suicide and that was a trigger for me to, to go and get get help get myself sorted uh, and and um, coming out of my first or second therapy session had a bunch of missed calls to find out that a friend of mine had also died by suicide um, and that was a really intense time for me and kind of, yeah, I guess it set me off on a crusade to do something about the pain and suffering associated to suicide because it affects so many people. Um, and I'll throw in some stats here just to kind of frame it all for you. So, you know, um, it's estimated that approximately um, uh, suicide affects approximately uh, 135 people per death. Um, and that of the statistics that we can we can come on to is that you know ten percent of are those who are bereaved by suicide, so that's you know that's quite a real thing. Um, but anyway, back to the journey. So um, I moved to the UK as most Antipodeans do to try and you know find their fortunes and, and various other things. You know, come to the centre of the world rather than being on the edge of it. And um, you know, my day jobs and and, and uh, sort of corporate treasury and consulting. But I had this real need to do something else, um, and so yeah, I became a, a, a trustee for a mental health charity in London, uh, one of the one of the mine charities. But that wasn't really hands on enough for me. Um, that's not to take away from the fantastic work they do. It just yeah wasn't in the trenches. 
Um, and so I was reading about um, uh, this guy, uh, Dr. Gary Slutkins, who had um, formed a, an NGO, Cure Violence in the States. And basically what it was doing was tackling gun violence through epidemic methodology, you know, getting in at a local level, understanding what's going on and, and that kind of thing. So I, I started working with him and his team and uh, the um, University of Chicago in Illinois uh, and, and looking at doing a pilot. <clears throat> so I put my corporate hat on. I'm like, well, where's, where's the data or the data that suggests um, where, we should, where we should do the pilot? And what became uh, evident really quickly was that in the UK, it's a minimum of nine months to confirm a suicide and it can be anywhere from two to four years uh, in New Zealand, we'll come back. We can come back to why it takes that long. But um, so then I was like, okay, well, that's we'll, we'll park that one. Let's let's go down the the sort of the data rabbit hole. And so in the uh, in the UK, there's the National um, Suicide Prevention Strategy, which targets reducing suicides by ten percent by next year, um, which is. I suppose it's quite an ambitious target when, when we look at the recent statistics. But uh, within that, they, they mandate every local authority to have a suicide prevention strategy and there's a component for data collection in there and what's kind of called <clears throat> suicide surveillance. So how that works is from, uh, from police attending sudden death, you know, they fill out a form, get the next of kin consent for bereavement support. But if the coroner allows this, this suicide prevention uh, suicide surveillance, uh, that they can share that information with local authority, local public health, bereavement support, and, you know, anyone else that's sort of relative, relevant to be able to do something about it. And that's it. So that's that from, from death up to the uh, inquest. And so in that time, we find that there's a sort of um, a requirement to provide bereavement support in that in 72 hours post-death. And that, that's a kind of way of addressing the um, that ten percent, you know, ten percent of by those who are bereaved by suicide. So if we get in there, that that, that kind of helps it. Um, but equally, uh, you know, an opportunity to provide um, uh, better prevention and intervention strategies through having that data and the, the deeper analysis. Um, the reason the reason I wanted to just leap straight in and let you talk because this is such a sensitive topic, you know, I, I really wanted to hear it from you know from your mouth. And uh, but a couple of things that's worth saying is, you know, we're um, looking to release this on on World Suicide Day. Um, we talked to you about this because also leading up to World Suicide Day, some statistics have been put out into the world about the state of you know numbers of suicides so can you just give us kind of uh paint a picture a little bit of, of the of the um what kind of situation this is we're in yeah so if we take if we just purely look at um the suicide statistics in england and wales you know we had 5691 uh, deaths last year and that was that's an increase of six percent you know these are it's really trying times we're in uh and you know, I think we're going to expect to see a, a bigger increase going forward with everything COVID as well. But, you know, it is what it is now, and we can only do address it with, with what we have at the moment. A couple of statistics I've heard is that suicide is the first, – first of all, it's um, it's a male issue, so I'm interested if that's true. And also in terms of men under the age of 50, it's, it's like the number one cause of death in, in, in younger men. Is that is that correct? Um, well, I certainly know that you know it is 
that is the, the the biggest killer of men under age of forty five. And what we've seen, uh, what we've seen recently is as an increase in males test. Uh, male suicides since and it's the highest it's been since 2000 i think was 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 what i what i um saw there so you know um and and when you take those and then you look at pandemic financial crisis we really need to focus on that area um and and okay we have the statistics but what do we actually do about it well we need to be going to male dominated workplaces we need to be opening spaces to well, providing spaces for people to have open and honest um, conversations. And that's the way we're, we're going to address it. And those numbers, Matthew, you talk about, um, and you said last year, and that is, you know, January to December 2019. Correct. Just, just want to make sure. So, you know, it takes us seven, eight, nearly nine months um, to get to the the numbers and understand the issue that we had last year. Uh, and as you said, this year, the whole world is faced with some pretty interesting set of circumstances that's certainly raising anxiety um, and the stresses that are on a, that are on us all. Um, when you talk about males as well, and particularly under 45, are there any particular groups within that or is it really it doesn't discriminate? Because that, that's what I've heard is that it really doesn't discriminate. Well, it, it doesn't discriminate, but um, I think there's kind of, you know, any male sort of, I suppose, your constructions, you know, your, your agriculture is where it is a staunch stiff upper lip, you know, mentality and, and guys don't ask for help. I heard I heard um, something recently, and again, I don't know if this is backed by research, but the time between it takes a male to decide that he's going to end his life versus a female. So a female might be something like, let's say, four years, but a male will be four hours. Because it's that kind of, you know, we uh, don't want to say we make rash decisions, but we do something and we, we go with it. Uh, and, and the things is, you know, for someone to die by suicide, it needs to be, you know, they need to have the opportunity and the impulse. Or maybe you could argue that guys are more impulsive. Um, but, but, yeah, there's, there's that. And, and taking the, the pandemic point, um, so we know that uh, post the last financial crisis in 2008, uh, in the UK, there was a 12% increase in suicides over two years. If we take the Asian banking crisis, I think, when was that, 92, 98? Uh, there was 5,000 deaths, uh, extra deaths uh, uh, by suicide in that area. So we know that's coming. They talk about the second wave of the pandemic as being the mental health wave. Um, so, yeah, this is we, we need to be doing more now. Well, obviously, there's the, the there's the context here, which 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 is which we need to talk about, and it's the context which you're operating in. But I think the important thing here is we want to talk a little bit about what you're doing and what you know um, stigma statistics are. So, given all this, um, what you know, what what are you up to, uh, and that's helping, and, and 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 particularly what can other people get from that so they can help? Yeah, it's probably a good thing to explain. I'm not sure if I explained that well enough for the first part. So, um, right. So, how? Yeah, again, how how the um, suicide surveillance works is it starts with police collecting the data and for the coroner may or may not share it with with various stakeholders. So, we've built a web place a, a web based platform, um, and we're calling that Star. So, suicide tracking analysis and reporting. So that's the platform for the collation, sharing, analysis, and reporting of suicide data. Um, <clears throat> so what, how that works is we've built that so that there's input data or there's you know an integration from the source, 
and then it's shared with all those stakeholders. Um, and the idea being we can do all that analysis, we can, we can highlight trends, we can identify high-risk individuals. Uh, in a GDPR world, you know, saying we can identify high-risk individuals, well, we only can use the data we have. We could really turn it up a notch, uh, you know, on that. But again, GDPR is a, uh, both a, a hindrance and a, and a support mechanism, right? Uh, so, yeah. And do you, are you able to provide any, because you know, obviously getting information after the fact is, is useful for trends, but you know, all we want to do is get in there before the fact, right? And you're talking about being able to identify high-risk individuals depending on the data, but is there, is there any sort of characteristics that you're, you're, able, you're, you're seeing or that you're, that you're pointing to? Because I think that what I hear, and I've done a bit more research because I knew I was talking to you, is that one of the things that a lot of people talk about when someone commits suicide is surprise. You know, they didn't actually think it was like we didn't expect that to happen. So, is there, is the things that you are seeing that you can tell people about that that might help them identify something and therefore intervene? Obviously. So, I think a good starting point is that one of the statistics from previous year was that um, only twenty eight percent of the deaths were known to mental health services. So, yes, this is what seventy two percent surprise. Um, and that's where I think it's it's it, to come back to points of really trying to destigmatize or, or you know take away the taboo of talking about mental health of talking about suicide. Um, you know we all need to be aware of what to look out for and how to have these conversations. Uh, mental health should be treated like you know I give the analogy of I've rolled my ankle. Um, you go to the doctor. No one gives you, no one's giving you grief about rolling your ankle, although you might do if you're playing football or something and it's a, yeah, it's a weak tackle. But you can't do the same thing in mental health. You know, you need to be supportive and, and be open to talking about your feelings and provide, provide a space to do that. Hmm. And I noticed when we set this up, you know, we were, we were, we were going to talk and then you were, you know, moving, right? And, uh, and you were very open about, the, the fact that was having an impact on you and we decided to move it and and it wasn't a difficult conversation we had but I was aware that it was unusual you know that we might have normally powered through kind of thing but even that was a, an unusual conversation so. yeah well I mean I'll, I'll, I'll be more blatant talking about it than, than, than you perhaps Neil is that yeah this week um, for me you know I, I've had my own uh, struggles with mental health and, and I've had a lot of change and a lot of uncertainty and you do have dark days, and and I guess the the good thing for me is I'm very aware of my mental health. I know what I need to do. I know my triggers, but there might be a couple of days where I do want to, you know, um, hide in a dark room. And I, I guess the thing with this is, okay, we want to do these amazing things and saves lives. You've still got to be able to look after yourself and be aware of that. And um, yeah, I guess it's the, the the blessing in disguise of having going through you know depression and, and, and various things that you become more self aware. And I was lucky enough to have the support around me to have the means to go and get support. Uh, I think the first time you know if I went through public health, it was going to take six weeks. Well, I had private medical insurance, which meant I could get be seen quickly. And and it, some people don't have that, and that's why we need everyone to be aware to to talk about it and. I think at this point, uh, you know, I'll put a plug in for the Zero Suicide Alliance, which is actually now an, an international organisation. They provide 
um, there's there's a five minute and a, and a twenty minute training video on suicide awareness, and I highly recommend that for anyone, uh, anyone and everyone. We'll, we'll make sure that link's available when we when we launch this. So. Right. For sure. So I was thinking, you know, Dave, this is this sort of goes into your business, doesn't it? I mean, you, you've been in the world of sort of safety for a, a long time, and I'm interested from both of you, really, because you know, I'm, 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 this isn't an area I have expertise in. But I notice sometimes on social media, people put out these things saying, "Hey, if you think of committing suicide, I always have the kettle on." And there's something that doesn't seem right about that. Like the the, the idea behind it is great, but uh, so you know, it's, it's all very well saying having these conversations, but I think quite often. I'm not saying this is true, but what would stop me having a conversation is the reaction I'm going to get that people quite often want to fix me and jump on it and dramatize it. So do you have any insight into, into how we have these conversations? Well, I think I'll start by, you know, over the course of seven years, when I started to talk about it, it's very, you know, very taboo. I, I liken it to, you know, you're talking to someone about something difficult and they stiffen up. Well, I've found that people are a lot more open to talking about it. But it's not about, hey, are you are you going to kill yourself? It's how are you feeling? And, and actually asking that in a way where you care about the answer, not, not the English thing of, all right, mate, well, when I moved here and people asked me that, I was like, what, do I, do I not look like I'm okay? What's, what's going on here? But, you, you know, really give someone the – the time and place to answer that, and and if you don't think so, it's it's almost like that. You know, how are you? Then putting putting the hand on the shoulder. No, how are you really? Um, and uh, you know, it's not appropriate to do that all the time, but certainly having that that providing a space where you, where you, where you can do that. Well, what's your experience, Dave? Because you work with people who are probably fit into that category of the least least likely, perhaps, to talk about it culturally. You know, in terms of um, the work that's been done. Yeah, and like I think from uh, you know the safety side of things, um, organisations have gotten very good. Society's gotten pretty good overall of managing physical harm. Um, but when we come around to having a conversation around you know, mental well-being and, and how we are actually thinking and feeling about stuff, those are still very difficult conversations for us to to have um, culturally, um, especially with with guys. Um, and you know, organizations that say they have well-being programs and when you really explore what that means and it's a bowl of fruit, well, you know, that's not going to cut. <laughs> it's not cutting it these days. You know, we really need to go beyond that. Um, and it is about creating this psychologically safe place where we can have open conversations, you know, and where leaders particularly um, do have an open door policy, but it is, you know, come in, sit down, let's have a chat, let's go get a coffee. Um, and I know we're all busy and we've got KPIs and things we've got to achieve, but actually creating this space where we're able to, to kind of talk candidly um, against how, how things are feeling, about our workloads, about our stresses, that, you know, being able to come into work and actually saying, you know, what, there's some stuff going on at home that, that is really impacting me. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here. I'm not in the space today. Um, trying to create those um, – Actually, interestingly, last week, you know, I was having conversations with uh, with a bunch of guys um, around doing JSAs, which is, you know, job safety analysis. And I asked them, why do you all sign this piece of paper? And they often say, well, because we have to. All right, why do you have to? What's the point behind it? And they're like, well, just us signing this is covering our covering our asses and you know, our bosses' asses. And you know, if anything happens, then they've got this to fall back on. I said, well, okay. 
there's a point to that, but actually the point behind you all signing this is that it's kind of like stacking hands. This is like in a, in a football huddle, putting your hands together and saying, right, we all understand our roles. We all understand the job that we're going to do. This gives me the right by signing this for any of you to tell me I'm not doing it right to stop the job for my well-being. Likewise, this gives me the authority for me to tell you, you know, to stop the job if you're also doing it. And it's just that it's the same thing, but it's just a switch. And it really gets the guys going, oh, shit, I hadn't thought of it like that. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And that's almost where I think we need to really be going around the whole mental well-being and our mental health and how we have conversations is, is breaking these stigmas down, but going to those, those um, I suppose, reference points where we have, where we see great camaraderie and great teamships and we see it within sport, but yet we also hear that there's an awful lot of high-performing athletes that look fantastic on the field and look like they're really strong leaders but are really struggling with this stuff as well. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I think it really takes people coming out and talking about their experiences because then there's, you know, something relatable. Um, and that needs to be right across the spectrum from, your, your, your um, you know, black communities to LBGTQ plus and everyone needs to have something they can relate to and say, if I'm, not, you know, if they're not feeling okay, you know, that's actually something that I, I can relate to and then, everyone feels comfortable talking about it and, and it comes back to that place of you know really providing a space to to talk about it and the other thing I want to say is that it's actually okay to ask someone directly if you think someone is struggling talking about it, you know I, I know the the cup of tea hey are you suicidal you know there's, there's, there's a right way to kind of have that conversation but by asking someone it's not going to put an idea in their head yeah so you know, if someone says, hey, look, I've been really feeling really down and you can kind of pick it up um, and, and sort of asking them a bit more about that and then you go on to saying, hey, are you suicidal? And if they say, well, have you had suicidal thoughts? And if they kind of talk about it a bit, then you can, you know, it is okay to say, have you made a plan? And, and again, I don't, want to, I don't want to take away from the Zero Suicide Alliance training, but that, that's the kind of things it's talking about. It is okay to kind of ask those questions in, in the right way. But Again, this is kind of the end of the conversation. We need to swim back up river and, and, and you know, coming back to your points, Dave, is really get in at those, you know, at, at, at the um, points you were, you were discussing. So with stigma stats, you know, how, how does getting real-time data quicker, how does that change the game? Well, we, we, we don't know, you know, we can't fix what we don't know. So if we have the data now, we can get in and stop it right there. And, and it's kind of I, I like to describe it as a sort of a ripple effect as, as i said earlier you know uh, suicide impacts one uh, 135 people we'll start, it starts to you know we can catch that ripple and really understand what's going on before it comes a problem so public health england have um guidance of they they have what's called an escalation strategy when there's three and three months however they're waiting three months to look back to see whether there was uh, if there was three suicides in an area I'm sorry, you've, you've kind of missed the boat if you wait that long. You know, it really needs to be in that 72-hour uh, post-death uh, period to really do something about it.
Well, let me let, now. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. There's a pregnant pause there because it's like we could talk about this for hours. This is a, a you know a fascinating subject, an important subject. Obviously, we're talking about this um, in the week that we have World Suicide Day. Um, the, so I think, but let's just say that was context setting because one of the things we want to do with this podcast is is not just talk about issues, is talk about specifically people who have done things. I really want so you can share your experience so that other people out there going, you know, I, I've got a real desire to to go and you know, I see a problem, I'd like to impact it, you know, what do I do? So can you tell us a, a, a bit about the the steps you took, Matthew? Because when we were talking beforehand, you talked about, you know, various people who helped you along the way, about hacks and things like that. So you obviously, in New Zealand, you had this experience, it, it affected you profoundly, you wanted to do something about that, and you've now got um, um, stigma statistics, right? And 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 we can talk a little bit about where that's going to go next. But what might be a few crucial things that helped you to go from that initial desire to where you are today? Uh, uh, so I think have always having a, a mind for entrepreneurship and, and and I suppose challenging the status quo. You know, I think you know through boarding school, school I would be the first person to stick my hand up and challenge something. Um, but it's really been about trying different things. You know, if you've got an idea, get out and have a go. Uh, I, I'm a I'm a get shit done kind of guy, so it's kind of you know you just keep need to keep pushing. So I think you know, there's been some fantastic connections and things that I've had. Uh, you know, a very good friend of mine, Katie Lewis, is the founder of Nine Others, and what they do is they have dinners for nine entrepreneurs where you get together and kind of discuss different challenges and. and t- t- kind of help each other out and through that network you know i was able to to come across um a company called quick release which um performed uh you know corporate social responsibility hackathons for anyone that doesn't know what a hackathon is it's you know get a bunch of developers together to hack up a product but and then that sort of moved on there to you know to piloting and now having customers and things like that. But I think the thing is, is if you believe in your idea and people believe in your idea, keep going. You know, I think over the years of having different ideas and you kind of yeah, it's, it sounds all right. To when you've got people who matter going, no, that sounds like it's got legs. And then people say, yes, we will use your product. You know, you just got to keep rowing, uh, keep rolling with it, and make sure you got the right people around you to to, to support you. So you, you know you've built a product, you've got a you've got a company. You are obviously uh, you know, on that sort of you still have a day job. So um, uh, what happens next? So we well, we're sort of, sort of at a critical point really. So we've been piloting in, in Cambridgeshire and Peterborough. We've had um, uh, Kent County Council sign up, uh, and we're, we're trying to work with British Transport Police too. Um, and yeah, we, we want, well, we would ideally like to be a global platform uh, for suicide prevention. We want to be the platform for suicide prevention. Uh, and we want to, um, you know, pull in all data sources to enable anything, really, that, that will, um, you know, enable suicide prevention and, and ultimately go on to running responsive services on the back of our platform. Uh, there is sort of, there's, there's things happening with uh, all COVID response, really, around around this and I expect you know, sort of big things in the next couple of months and, and, and sort of a urgence for people to, to, to sign up uh, in a remote working world. We've got about um, just a coming about five minutes uh, left and I just feel we've only just started kind of thing to be honest with you but let's uh, so let's talk a little bit about um, you know what what people can do um, 
in terms of uh, how they can get involved with uh, you know um, uh, stigma statistics. So first of all, you 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 have a website. Is that what people do? Do they just go and look at that? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a website with a bit more about my story. So stigmastats.co.uk um, and LinkedIn and Twitter and things. But we, uh, you know, I suppose plug, we are raising investment at the moment. It's the start of our journey. So if any any uh, angels, socially minded angels want to come and talk to me, I'd love to love to have a conversation. Um, we are going to raise, uh, sorry, launch a crowdfunding campaign. So what we want to do is, you know, there was 5,691 uh, deaths last year. We want to raise money, but also um, run, walk, uh, swim, whatever that, whatever else, uh, a kilometre per death last year to sort of raise awareness and, and, and kind of, you know, again, open a space to, to facilitate those those conversations, but equally continue to develop our, our platform and functionality and provide try and provide our platform as, as free or as close to free as possible, ultimately with the goal of, you know, saving more lives and, and, and reducing suicide rates. Fantastic. I think you mentioned it before, um, Matthew, that you know, for every for every suicide death, there's 135 people um, it affects. I think that's the number you said. So you know, that's really 135 advocates that um, you've know, been impacted by it and don't want to see it happen to to anybody that they know, care about, um, or you know, are linked to in any way. So you know, I think. Uh, which is almost like that flywheel effect. Once you start getting some momentum going, it builds and builds and builds because this really doesn't discriminate and it um, it touches all of us. Um, and we are in a, a period of the last uh, eight or nine months or so, I suppose, that um, it's really bringing this home at a pro- profound level for everybody on uh, the scale of the issue that we're dealing with now. Yeah, that's, com- that's completely right. I think the people being... You know, and 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 their house of flats by themselves, and and you know, not being able to get out and see loved one and, fa- and family. Um, I read a great book by Jonah Hari about connection, and everyone needs that connection. Well, there's lack of connection, and we need to find ways that aren't sitting on a Zoom call for all day because that just, you know, I think that kind of that has negative impacts as well. But you know, we just we just need to be out connecting, talking about it, and yeah, having these conversations. So I think that's why it's fantastic you guys you know had me along today because it's you know spreading the word and hopefully destigmatizing the, the the topic. Well, thank you very much, and we've we've come to the end of uh, of of, uh, of our half hour here, and I think the first thing I'd like to say is thank you very much, and and I'd, I I would hope we could talk to you in a year's time. I'm really intrigued to uh, to hear how this is going to go, but uh, I'd really like to leave it with you, Matthew, just to say to uh, to anyone out there you know, where you might point, if there's anything you can share, you might point people out that you you know about that'd be useful. I think that the first one, and if we look at the UK, is to check out the Hub of Hope, um, which you know if you Google that, that's an online. Uh, resource for any help that you, you might need but if you want to yeah, come and talk to me I, I'm happy to share my details and you know together if we can work together uh, you know we can we, we can save lives so thanks very much for having me. Well that was a fascinating conversation and I realised we could have talked about that for many hours but you know obviously the, the point of this uh, podcast is, uh, is to think about plan C different thinking so Dave what, what would you say the plan C takeaways were from this conversation? I think for me Neil you know, plan A really is having to follow the judicial system that's in place and the coroner's got to do their thing. And we heard from Matthew that, that takes a you know pretty significant amount of time. 
um, even if next of kin that are the ones that are grieving, the, the ones that are in pain and that community that they're associated with, that 135 people are in pain and grieving and also need need those resources. But, you know, information can only be processed and, and come out into the public domain as quickly as the system allows. You know, plan B, I think, plugs the gap a little bit with all the, the non-for-profits and the amazing work that all of those organizations out there that help um, anyone within mental mental um, illness that are feeling um, depressed, that are feeling suicidal, all those helplines, support mechanisms that are there are, are great. But we, we know that it's it still lets quite a few through through the net. Plan C, I think that, you know, stigma stats and that Matthew are trying to do is trying to speed up the process, give the next of kin that opportunity to release information, um, give the police almost permission to release information into the public domain quicker. So we can identify the communities, those 135 people every time that are, that are heavily impacted and get resources to them, boots on the ground you know, as soon as possible. And I think, you know, that's a great thing. It has to make a difference. Um, and with technology and what we have now, I think we've, I suppose the plan C thinking is it's kind of thinking of this as almost like um, carrying a donor card in your wallet. Right. You know what I mean? It allows us to, yes, uh, it allows the next akin opportunity to almost immediately give back to the community, allow information to get out there and, and give back, which I think has got to be a helpful thing. Right. Well, thanks, for Dave, for that. That was a, a great summary. Obviously, we could talk about this uh, subject for a very, a very long time, but we need to bring the podcast to an end. So it's uh, September the 10th is National Suicide Day. Um, you talked a lot about you know insight, but obviously the point of insight is to take action. And I think if there's one thing that we can take away from this conversation is that something we can all do is to have those conversations. You know, is to have the conversation, to be able to listen, just to kind of connect. So that's kind of what I think I'd be urging everyone to do. We'd love to hear feedback from people. Um, and otherwise, this has been the, uh, the Plan C podcast, and we'll be back next week with another Plan C conversation. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that it's got you thinking about what actions you could take in creating your own Plan C thinking. Please tune in next time. And until then, stay safe, healthy, and happy.